But I find that people have a problem, they have issue, pride or whatever the case may be that may hinder a person from getting down on their knees and putting their face to the ground, whether they are bowing or prostrate. And I've said, if you won't do this at home, you certainly won't do it in public. And here, this servant, he did it at the well, he did it in the house, when he received favorable response to the mission that he's on being witnesses of what the Almighty is doing, he had absolutely no problem giving the Almighty praise and bowing to worship. He's not worshiping men. He's worshiping the Almighty in the presence of men. And until you have done it, you haven't overcome it. Shalom, saints, and welcome to our verse-by-verse study of the book of Genesis. I'm your host and teacher, Arthur Bailey. Isaac was grief-stricken mourning the death of his mother, Sarah. Abraham knew that he was unable to give Isaac the kind of comfort he needed, and what Isaac needed was not another mother, but a comforting wife. Abraham sent his servant, Eliezer, to the city of Nahor in Mesopotamia to find a wife for his son, Isaac. Abraham's servant was a man who worshipped Jehovah. Through answered prayer, Eliezer was invited to Abraham's kindred's home where he formally asked for Rebekah to wed Isaac. Laban was the spokesperson for the family and Rebekah's brother. Eliezer testified about his commission and before he ate their food, he had a confirmation that his mission was successful. With her family's permission, Rebekah agreed to go with Eliezer to marry Isaac. Rebekah and her nurse departed with Abraham's servant and his men. Today's study title is, Rebecca Comforts Isaac. So, let's study. Today, again, we're talking about Rebecca Comforts Isaac. We're in Genesis chapter 24, verses 29 through 67, and that's the path that we're going to be taking tonight. In verse 29, it says, And Rebecca had a brother, and his name was Laban. And Laban ran out unto the man unto the well. Remember last week, Rebecca had come out. Abraham's servant had prayed a specific prayer. And Rebecca met all the criterias of that prayer. She asked, or he asked her if there was a place who her father was and if they could come and spend the night. And she, of course, said yes. She ran to her house. She told the household what had happened. And Laban, her brother, now runs out and meets the man at the well. Now, this Laban, we're going to find out about him later on. There's a lot. Uh, Some of you who've read the story of Jacob and his dealings with Laban, but right now, tonight, we're going to deal with her as simply, or him simply as Rebecca's brother. 
And it came to pass, verse 30, when he saw the earring and bracelets upon his sister's hands. Now, last week we spoke that the earring was actually one he put on her face, which is a nose ring. And we are going to see that in the lesson here tonight. And he put bracelets upon his sister's hands. And when he heard the words of Rebekah, his sister saying, thus spake the man unto me that he came unto the man and behold, he stood by the camels at the well. So now Laban is at the well with Abraham's servant and is about to invite him to his father's house. And he said, come in thou Bless of Jehovah, wherefore standest thou without? For I have prepared the house and room for the camels. In verse 32, it says, And the man came into the house, and he ungirded his camels, and gave straw and provender for the camels, and water to wash his feet. And I have underlined here, because for the first time we see that Laban is not traveling by himself. Now, we know that he left off from Abraham with ten camels, and we know that he had... He was a steward over everything that Abraham had. So it wouldn't make sense for a man to be traveling with all of this wealth, 10 camels by himself. But here it is in verse 32, we see that he wasn't traveling by himself. And again, if you weren't paying attention, you can easily miss the men's feet that were with him. So we find that he brought water to wash his feet, the servant, and the men's feet that were with him. Again, this passage reveals there were other men with Abraham's servant. Verse 33, and there was set meat before him to eat. But he said, I will not eat until I've told mine errand. And so Laban said, speak on. Now, there's a lot to see concerning this servant because this servant was on a mission. And he was inclined to do his master's will. The servant was about his master's business before the pleasure of eating the food that was set before him. And so Abraham's servant now begins to testify about his commission and acknowledges that Abraham's wealth came from Jehovah. Remember when Abraham went out and did battle, he took all the trained men in his house after Lot had been taken, and he went and he retrieved Lot, all of Lot's good, Lot's family, and the men, and all the goods that had been taken by the king. And when Melchizedek came out, he presented tithes of all, and the king of Sodom said, hey, you can keep all the goods, but give me the people. And Abraham made a statement. He says, no man will say that they made Abraham rich. Now, we know, we know that Abraham's wealth came from men. He was made rich when he went into Egypt. And then Abimelech added to his wealth. But before Abraham left Haran, Abraham already was a man of substance because the Bible says he brought all of the people that he had acquired, all the souls that he had acquired in Haran. And I suspect that before he left Ur of the Chaldees, he also had some wealth because we're going to find that Abraham comes from a family (laughs) of means. 
We'll see this later on in this passage. In verse 34, and he said, I am Abraham's servant. And Jehovah has blessed my master greatly. And he is become great. And he has given him. And so what is he saying? He's saying that even though this wealth came from the kings, even though this wealth was some of Abraham's work and acquisition, that everything Abraham had came from Jehovah. Why do you think he would say that? Because this is what Abraham taught. You see, Abraham taught his household. And I would suspect that Abraham wasn't a boastful, proud, arrogant type of person who talked about what he did, but he spoke in terms of what the Almighty did in his life. And this now is communicated to his servants. So when his servant is talking about him, he's communicating that Abraham is wealthy, but his blessings, his wealth comes from Jehovah. And he says, and he has given him flocks and herds and silver and gold and men servants and maid servants and camels and asses. And so he's saying, listen, you know, and, and I suspect that this servant has watched Abraham negotiate <laughs> and he's convincing the household members which is why he got 10 camels loaded down with goods that I'm coming to get a person. I'm going to take this person into a far land, but don't worry because this person is going to be well taken care of. And so he's sharing about the blessings that Abraham has. And then he says, and Sarah, my master's wife, bear a son to my master when she was old. And now unto him hath he given all that he has. So remember when father visited Abraham, he says, what can you give me? Because Abraham had so much stuff. He says, what can you give me seeing I have no son? And the son of my house or the servant of my house, the steward of my house is this Eleazar from Syria. (laughs) from Damascus. And so now this servant, which we believe is Eleazar, is saying that my master has given all that he has to this son that Sarah bore him when she was old. And my master made me swear, saying, thou shalt not take a wife to my son of the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. Now, this is a legitimate testimony, which is exactly what Abraham said, because the question is, is why would you come this far to seek a bride? Were there not women (laughs) where he was? And I suspect that Abraham had several women in his camp because Hagar was one of the women in his camp. And the Bible says he has acquired many, many souls. So there were plenty of people within his camp, but he's sending specifically to get a wife from his clan. Verse 38. And he says, but thou shalt go unto my father's house and to my kindred and take a wife unto my son. 
So he's saying, Abraham was specifically instructing me where to go to find this wife. And I said unto my master, peradventure, the woman will not follow me. And he said unto me, Jehovah, before whom I walk, will send his angel with thee and prosper thy way. And thou shalt take a wife for my son of my kindred and of my father's house. Now, this is a powerful statement because what Abraham was saying is that the one that I serve is going to go with you. He's going to lead you. And so during this time, we're going to find that Abraham's servant is looking to the one Abraham served to lead and guide him. He says, then shalt thou be clear from this my oath when thou comest to my kindred, and if they give not thee one, thou shalt be clear from my oath. And I came this day unto the well and said, O Jehovah, Elohim of my master Abraham, if now thou do prosper my way, which I go, behold, I stand by the well of water, and it shall come to pass that when the virgin cometh forth to draw water, And I say to her, give me, I pray thee, a little water of thy picture to drink. Now, notice what the servant is doing at this moment is he's praying. And in the prayer, he's praying for a virgin. He's praying for a woman who has never been with a man from his master's kinfolk house. You know, when I think about this journey, I'm amazed and yet I'm baffled how if you were to draw a map from where the servant left to a particular place in a far off land to a well. Now, he had to go through many people's lands, villages. The spirit leads him to a particular well that doesn't seem to be too far from his kinfolk house. (laughs) Father has the capacity to lead us step by step to the exact place he wants us to be. (laughs) And this is the case of this particular servant. And she say to me, both drink thou, and I will also draw for thy camels. Let the same be the woman whom Jehovah has appointed out for my master's son. And before I had done speaking in my heart. So he's testifying. Let me tell you what happened. Before I finished praying, before I started speaking out of my heart, Rebecca came forth with her pitcher on her shoulder and she went down into the well and drew water. And I said unto her, let me drink, I pray thee. And she made haste and let down her pitcher from her shoulder and said, drink and I will give your camels drink also verbatim. So I drank and she made the camels drink also. And I asked her and said, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore Unto him, and I put the earring upon her face, not her ear, upon her face. And if you look that word up, you'll find that it's referencing her nose and the bracelets upon her hands. So he gives her these this gold earring or nose ring and these gold bracelets. And I bowed down my head and worshiped Jehovah. 
And I bless Jehovah Elohim of my master, Abraham, which had led me in the right way to take my master's brother's daughter <laughs> unto his son. I mean, you can't get no more specific than that. And now, if you will deal kindly and truly with my master, tell me. If not, tell me. Now, if Jacob had had this kind of conversation, he probably would have got tricked. <laughs> now, we don't know if Eleazar came out of Ur of the Chaldees because we know that Mesopotamia, modern Mesopotamia or Mesopotamia from where Abraham came, he went up to or out to Haran. And Haran uh, was in the Syrian Damascus area because not far from Haran was Damascus, which is where Eleazar's mother. And I said mother because remember last week we looked at Eleazar was born in Abraham's house. So Abraham didn't get him as a servant. His mother was a servant of Abraham who gave birth to him in Abraham's household. Because remember, Jehovah told Abraham to circumcise all of the men born in his house and those he had bought with money. So when he circumcised all the men, there were those who were born in his house. But we also know that Abraham only had Ishmael, who was 13 years old when he got circumcised, and all the men who was born in his house and bought with money when Ishmael was the only one that was from the loins of Abraham, all the others were from the women that were servants of Abraham or slaves. In this passage, it appears Laban is the spokesperson for the house of Bethuel. As stated earlier, we will learn more about Laban in the upcoming chapters. Bethuel speaks, but the passage puts Laban before Bethuel, probably indicating Laban is the firstborn and apparent. And so it's important that as you're studying and reading that you look at the actual verbiage and you'll see things if you just pay attention to how things are laid out. In Genesis 24:50, then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, Now who's the father? Who's the father? Laban is not the father, Bethuel is the father. Let's go back. Remember here when the daughter is explaining, what does she say? I am the daughter of Bethuel. Laban was her brother. I'm the daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bare unto him. You see this? So she is Bethuel's daughter. Laban is her brother, but in this particular passage, we see that Laban is doing the speaking. 
Laban goes out to the well and invites him. And if you understand the way, order that the firstborn becomes the heir apparent and the double portion, meaning that the firstborn's responsibility was to take over the household, to care for the elders in the house, if it's the father and the mother. And so it appears that Laban is taking on this responsibility in this passage. And you're going to see even further. Then Laban and Bethuel answered. And so Moses puts Laban before Bethuel. The thing proceeds from Jehovah. We cannot speak unto thee bad or good. Now, this is an important phrase coming from these individuals because what are they? They're one acknowledging that based on the testimony of this servant whom he declares Jehovah has led him after hearing where he had come from, the circumstances, and now here he is sitting in Abraham's brother's son house. (laughs) How could this have happened? I could give you some examples and it still would pale in comparison to how this plays out. But Laban and Bethuel answered, the thing proceeds from Jehovah, so we cannot speak unto thee bad or good. They acknowledged that what the servant had testified to verified that Jehovah had led the man to them, therefore could not speak bad or good concerning it. And I wanted to point this out, that these people, although they are Abraham's kinfolk, are worshipers of idols, as we will see going forward in the upcoming chapters. Because we know that when Jacob gets there and brings Leah and Rebekah, they now bring idols with them. We know that Terah was an idol worshiper. And this is very much possibly why father wanted Abraham to get out of the country, away from his kinfolks. We pointed this out in an earlier teaching indicating this is a reason father told Abraham to leave his father's house, his country, and his kinfolk. And we remember, we looked at Joshua who wrote this in Joshua 24 too. And Joshua said unto all the people, thus said Jehovah Elohim of Israel, your fathers dwelt on the other side of the flood in old time, even Terah, the father of Abraham and the father of Nahor, and they served other gods. They served other gods. They were idolaters. So here you have Bethuel and Laban who have been brought up in that environment of idol worshipers, of idol worship. And now here is, of course, those idols couldn't speak. They couldn't lead. They couldn't do anything. And to hear the testimony of an Elohim that have led this man straight to their, you know, Laban's sister, Bethuel's daughter, and now they're in the house, is like, how can we speak against that? We know there's gods, and your testimony sounds like some god brought you here. We don't know him. You say he's 
Yehovah. So we can't speak whether bad or good because they had no knowledge. And so Rebecca is before you. Take her and go and let her be thy master's son's wife as Jehovah has spoken. And it came to pass that when Abram's servant heard their words, he worshiped Jehovah, bowing himself to the earth. Now at this point, I waited until this point because I wanted to show you something. It's been revealed throughout this passage, but I want to point it out to you. Abraham's servant was a man who prayed to and worshiped Jehovah. First, he swore an oath to Jehovah, Genesis 24, 3. And I will make thee swear by Jehovah, the Elohim of heaven and the Elohim of earth that thou shalt not take a wife unto my son of the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I dwell. So when Eleazar or Abraham's servant took this oath, who did he take this oath in the presence of? Abraham made sure he understand. Okay. Second, he prayed and inquired of Jehovah as Abraham's Elohim in the presence of the men with him. In verse 12, and he said, so here he is, he comes, he's got these 10 camels, he's got these men with him, he goes to the well, and I suspect it may not point out the fact Eleazar was second in command. He was second in command. Now, you got to understand something, brothers and sisters. We can look at Abraham as a normal individual, but Abraham was like a king. In fact, the land that Abraham dwelt in, they said, you are a prince. Remember when he wanted a cave to bury his wife? He says, you are a prince among us. Choose any sepulchre you want. They acknowledged. Now, understand, Abraham had an army. He had over 300 trained men. He went to battle and overcame five kings who had took four kings hostage and all their possessions. And Eleazar is second in command to one of the wealthiest men in the entire area who had respect by the kings of the area. A king came to Abraham asking Abraham for his people back. So when you put things in context like that, Abraham was a wealthy individual. Abraham was a powerful individual. And yet he was a very humble individual. And Eleazar was second in command. Get this? So now he's traveling with these individuals. He comes to a well. And I suspect Their responsibility in being with him was not only to protect him, but to protect the goods that he had brought with them. So if they were worth any value, they were watching every place Eleazar, Abraham's servant, went. So he goes to the well and he prostrates himself. He bows and he worships and these men are watching. Think about how you would feel worshiping in public because this is what he's doing. 
He's bowing in public at a well in the presence of other people unashamedly. And he says, O Jehovah Elohim of my master Abraham, I pray thee, send me good speed this day and show kindness unto my master Abraham. So what does he do? By example, Eleazar is doing what he has seen done by example. Abraham had no problem bowing in front of people. He had no problem worshiping in the presence of other people. And what I'm talking about is the kind of worship that is humility. That is when you put your face to the ground, acknowledging that no matter how powerful you are, there's one greater and more powerful than you. That's the posture of worship. He'd seen his master. Now he's doing it. And those who are with him is seeing him. Third, he worshiped in the presence of Rebecca's family when he got an answer from him. Because when Rebecca acknowledged, he bowed and he worshiped. Now he's at her house. Verse 26, and the man bowed down his head and worshiped Jehovah. So here he is in Laban's house. There's Bethuel, there's Rebecca, there's Laban. There's the servants who are serving. And it's like, I'm really trying to get a good glimpse of this space. They're sitting. There's all this food that has been laid out. There's folks, they're conversating. And before he takes a bite or drink, he says, look, y'all need to tell me, y'all going to give me her or not? Am I in the right place? Because if I'm not in the right place, my work is not done. I need to go on. I need to keep it moving. Okay. So they says, we believe this is from him. Take her and go. And what does he do in the midst of all this conversation with all these people? He prostrates himself. The Bible says he bowed down his head and worshiped. (laughs) See, In the the Near East culture, we see these things in different types of cultures, and probably one of the most pronounced is nothing for thousands of Muslims to bow their knee in public in the midst of all of their brethren. This is common. What's uncommon is for Christians to bow in public. Much of my prayer at home I do in private. There was one particular morning, one of my sons got up early and he saw me and I'm prostrating and he, the image that comes to many people's minds is Islam. When they see that, when I was in church I had a challenge lifting my hands in the Baptist church. By the time I got to the Pentecostal church, I not only had had overcome lifting my hands, I don't think I ever bowed. Yeah, yes, I did. I bowed when I went into the pulpit. I got down on that one knee like many pastors, said your prayer, get up and sit down. 
and oversee the congregation. But as far as getting down on my knees with my head to the ground in a public worship service, that was not something that I did the entire time I was in the Baptist church. By the time I got into the Pentecostal apostolic, it was nothing for me to prostrate. But you know what helped me overcome that is I had a pastor who did it. When I saw my pastor do it, it gave me freedom to do it. Why? Because he set an example. And from that moment on, I know no problem prostrating in a public place and in, in places that I've gone and worshiped. It was nothing for me to sit, even when I've been invited in the pulpit, to get down and to put my head to the ground and not concern myself with what people said. But I find that people have a problem. They have issues pride or whatever the case may be that may hinder a person from getting down on their knees and putting their face to the ground, whether they are bowing or prostrate. And I've said, if you won't do this at home, you certainly won't do it in public. And here, this servant, he did it at the well. He did it in the house when he received favorable response to the mission that he's on being witnesses of what the Almighty is doing, he had absolutely no problem giving the Almighty praise and bowing to worship. He's not worshiping men. He's worshiping the Almighty in the presence of men. And until you have done it, you haven't overcome it. And it's not to do it to show off. It's to do it because of the humility and the sincerity of, hey, listen, I know who's great. I know who is the great I am. And I have absolutely no problem because, see, this is one of those areas where if you are ashamed of him before men. And so we see that he bows here. And he said in verse 27, and he said, blessed be Jehovah Elohim of my master Abraham, who hath not left destitute my master or his mercy and his truth. I being in the way, Jehovah led me to the house of my master's brethren and the damsel ran and told them. So he's, he's out by the well. Finally here, he worshiped again in the presence of Rebecca's family when he got an answer from Laban and Bethuel. Before he ate their food, he had a confirmation that his mission was successful. In verse number 52 is when he worshiped in verse 53. And the servant brought forth jewels and silver, jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And notice now who he gives these gifts to and who's left out. He gave them to Rebecca. He gave also to her brother and to her mother. Who did he give to? Rebecca, her brother, and her mother. He gave gifts to Rebecca in addition to the nose ring and bracelets he had gave. And he gave gifts to Laban, confirming him as the spokesperson and potentially acting head of the house. And gifts to her mother, but not to Bethuel. He's the father. Now, some would try to insert a diary in here. Some would try to insert a bride's price. 
But the fact is, is that he gives the gifts, not so much to the father. He gives the gifts to the bride to be. And then he give gifts to Liban. So if Liban was acting as the head of the house, that would be the person who would receive the gifts. There would be no need to give to the mother. I'm pointing these things out because you'll find that people try to insert culture or justify certain types of cultural practices from Scripture when this is one of the first places where we see that gifts are given in exchange for a potential bride. Verse 54, and they did eat and drink. He and the men that were with him and tarried all night and they rose up in the morning and he said, send me away unto my master. So now that he's had a successful journey, he's got his stomach full. He's got some good rest. He's ready to return. Abraham's servant was ready to return to his master with Rebecca, but her brother and mother wanted her to stay a while. Now, what I find interesting is that in one place in this entire chapter, it appears that Bethuel speaks. But in all the other places, it's Laban and the mother doing the talking. Verse 55, and her brother and her mother said, let the damsel abide with us a few days, at the least 10. <laughs> After that, she can go. And he said unto her, don't hinder me. Don't get in the way, seeing Jehovah has prospered my way. Send me away that I may go to my master. And they said, we will call the damsel and inquire at her mouth. And they called Rebecca and said unto her, wilt thou go with this man? And she said, I will go. So who, who is making the decision? She is. It's interesting. Now, Rebecca agreed to go. Verse 59. I want you to see something here. Because, see, there's these little things throughout this passage that is easily overlooked. And they sent away Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant and his men. Rebecca's nurse, according to 35 verse 8, was named Deborah. Genesis 35, 8. But Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. So we see several chapters out. They let us know what her name is. And she was buried uh, beneath Bethel under an oak. And the name of it was called Alan Bahut. But verse 60. And they blessed Rebecca, and said unto her, Thou art our sister, be thou the mother of thousands of millions, and let thy seed possess the gates of those which hate them. And Rebecca arose and her damsels. So there's a nurse and damsels. Now that word damsels is servants. So what do you see? Rebecca lives in a house where she has possibly the wet nurse that brought her up who was still with her and she had female servants. You see this? So why is she carrying water from the well? <laughs> see, this adds a whole nother level to the power of this prayer. <laughs> 
She got servants who can go to the well and draw water. But on this particular day, (laughs) but add to the point to where only the wealthy have servants. See, she's not only got a nurse, but she's got servants to wait on her, which suggests that she comes from a household with means. And so they rode off upon the camels and followed the man and the servant took Rebekah and went his way. Verse 62. And Isaac came from the way of the whale Laharoi, for he dwelt in the south country. The name well Laharoi was given to it because of the incident with Hagar. Remember in verse 13, chapter 16, when Hagar ran away from Sarah because she was being treated harsh after she laid with Abraham, got pregnant, and the angel of Jehovah called out to her and told her to go back, and this is a conversation, and she called the name of Jehovah that spoke unto her, Thou Elohim sees me, for she said, I have also here looked after him that seethes me, wherefore the well was called Beer. Laharoi, and behold, it is between Kadesh and Barad. And so, Be'er is well, Laharoi is the name of the well, which is what Isaac came from the way of that when he saw. So, he's dwelling in the area where Hagar encountered the Almighty. Verse 63 And Isaac went out to meditate in the field at the even tide. And he lifted up his eyes and saw, and behold, the camels were coming. So Isaac is out there meditating, which suggests to me that his relationship with his father, the instructions that he'd been receiving, that Isaac now has developed this relationship with the Almighty to where he's out meditating, possibly on the things that he had been taught. We know that we are to meditate on the word. We are to meditate on his word day and night. And this is one of those things, brothers and sisters, that I find to be so, so fascinating. Uh, This Sabbath, I'm going to be doing a teaching, and there's some things that Father has really challenged me on. I'm going to bring some of that out in this teaching on Shabbat. Father is really moving in the mist, brothers and sisters. I got to tell you that. I got to tell you that. This morning, I was impressed to pray specifically for the greater works, the greater works to manifest. And I was a little surprised as I'm bowing, worshiping, and these thoughts coming into my mind as to what I am to pray for. It's as if Father is guiding me to pray for the manifestation of the greater works, the power of his spirit manifesting in our lives so that the healing and deliverance and power that the sons and daughters of the Most High is supposed to be manifesting is operational in our lives. You know, I've taught on these things, but here I find myself asking, uh, Father, and and I've kind of asked in my own way, but for him to specifically impress upon me, 
to ask these specific things suggests to me that there are things that he's going to do in the midst of us that he's equipping us for at this very moment. I want to see this power. I've seen his power manifest, but I desire to see his power manifesting in my life and in the lives of the believers on a much greater level, like the saints in the first century. That's what I want to see. And it shouldn't be one person. It should be the body of Messiah. The body of Messiah manifested the presence and power of the Almighty wherever they went. This is the place I believe he's trying to gear us up and prepare us for moving in. And then we got to do something with that. (laughs) I'll let you all in on some more stuff, maybe this Sabbath. And so Isaac lifts up his eyes, see Rebecca. Rebecca lift up her eyes. And when she saw Isaac, she got down off the camel. <laughs> now, it's like, okay. You know, anyway, for she had said unto the servant, what man is that? There's a man coming our way. Who is that? He's walking in the field to meet us. And the servant had said, it is my master. Now, wait a minute. I thought Abraham was his master. See, it's something about the son of the master that is also the master to the servants. Yeshua talked about this when he talked about this parable of this master who sent his servants into the, you know, to inquire of the people and for their, their monies (laughs) because they were working the land and, And he talked about how the master says, surely if I send my only son, if I send my son, surely they will respect him. Because when it comes down to the master and the son, the servant is understanding that the son represents the master. The son represents the father. And we as sons and daughters, we have to realize that we have our biological, natural and we have our supernatural. And as, as sons of the Most High, who do we represent? We represent the Most High all the time, even when we don't know it. And when we don't know it, there's a great chance that we may be misrepresenting. This is why we always have to be on our best behavior because of who we represent. I don't know if some of you all seen last week, the Pope was pulled on by a woman who he was shaking hands and kissing babies and he was walking and a lady reached out and grabbed her and pulled him and he slapped her hand away. Y'all see that? You heard about it? Well, the next day the Pope had to, he made a public apology. Why? Because he felt that he misrepresented it's like, oops, he was human for a moment. And when I saw it, it's like that woman, she grabbed his hand. And, you know, if you're walking and somebody grab your hand and pull you back and the man is kind of old, you know. <laughs> the Pope had a moment. <laughs> See, sometimes we may not realize that our representation may not necessarily be up to the level it should be 
when we're in our human moments, we have to be mindful of our human moments. Because in our human moments, we can do a lot of damage. And we have to be mindful of that. And so the servant told Isaac everything. Oh, but he says, it is my master. Therefore, she took a veil and she covered herself. And the servant told Isaac all things that he had done. And Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent. Now, remember in the previous chapter, in chapter 23, at the beginning of the chapter, the Bible says, Sarah died. And so now Isaac brought her into his mother, Sarah's tent and took Rebekah. And she became his wife and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. See, now this is the purpose that I say all of this took place. Abraham as a father has a son who is of age. His mom passes away. And Abraham is looking at this boy who obviously is missing his mother. Now, if he was little, Abraham would probably feel the need to get married. But getting married to a woman to comfort his boy is not going to be the kind of comfort a boy of this age needs or a young man or a man. So what does he do? He says, it's time for him to get a wife. The mom filled that role as the female in his life. She's out. And now he needs his own wife. And Rebecca now, this chapter concludes, Isaac was comforted. How was he comforted? He was comforted by his wife. Now, in the next chapter, we're going to see now that Abraham has a wife for Isaac, Abraham is going to turn around and get married again. So he's looking out for the concern of his son. And now he's going to get married and he's going to have more children. (laughs) Yes, he is. I believe the purpose of all that Abraham put his servant through was because his son Isaac was grief stricken mourning the death of his mother, Sarah. It's interesting that the chapter concludes that he takes Rebecca in his mother's tent suggesting that maybe Isaac was living in his mother's tent. It doesn't say this, but it just finds it interesting. Abraham knew that he was unable to give Isaac the kind of comfort he needed and that what he needed was not another mother, but a comforting wife. And here, brothers and sisters, I believe we can glean some wisdom, especially husbands and wives. And I suspect that the culture Abraham came from, regardless to their idolatry, understood how a woman, as she be woman, was to serve and meet the needs of her husband. That is the wife's first and primary duty. Everything else is secondary. We find all the way in the New Testament that The apostles used Sarah as an example whereby she called her husband her Lord. 
in our day and time today, even though you got individuals who find themselves to be Torah observant, biblically astute, not understanding that the role of a wife is to meet the needs of her husband. That's her first duty. The child never replaces the husband. It is too unfortunate that when a child comes in, it seems for some reason or another, some mothers, not all, redirect their focus to meet the needs of that child while neglecting the duty of meeting the needs of the husband. And this is where a lot of breakdowns come in, which is why I believe that Paul, you know, when he wrote, he talked about husbands, love your wives. Wives, respect, honor your husbands, submit to your husbands. Because when that doesn't happen, you have breakdown. And when there's a breakdown, things go north or south or whatever direction they go when they're getting bad pretty quickly. It's so important, you see. Culture and society shouldn't dictate to us. We live in a culture and a society right now where people want equality. They want to be recognized. They want their own identity. They want this, 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 and this, and this. And that's all part of this world's system. In the kingdom, it's a different process. And I believe that Abraham hometown, we don't know for sure, but I find it interesting. I find it that Abraham brings his wife from there and he sends his servant back there to get a wife for his son. And then the son who marries Rebecca and have two sons, one son displeases the mother and the father because he marries a local. She sends the other son back to her house, and this is where we're going to meet up with Laban again. But what's interesting is all the women that came with Jacob from the Chaldees, Ur, become the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel. All of the mothers of the 12 tribes of Israel come from Abraham's hometown. So the patriarch... Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, although they they didn't live in that area, all their wives came from that area. There's something to be said, and their respect and their honor for their husbands is unparalleled. So with that, I think I'm gonna bring this lesson to a close. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. You can find more inspirational teachings and download our free ebooks on our ministry website at arthurbaileyministries.com. 
Please follow us on Facebook at House of Israel Arthur Bailey Ministries, on Instagram at Apostle Arthur Bailey, on Twitter at Apostle Bailey, and you can subscribe to our YouTube page at Apostle Arthur Bailey One. If you're in the Charlotte area, please come and fellowship with us. We'll do our best to make you feel right at home. Our address is on our website at the About link under Contact Us. Again, thank you for joining us, and until next time, Shalom Saints.